Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, thank you for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the ride. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have an exciting show lined up for you here today. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Find your local Cenex location easily online at Cenex.com. Coming up here in just a moment, we're going to talk markets with Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk. We'll also be talking about the farm economy and the lending side of the equation. A lot of uh, a lot of interesting conversations I think are going to be had amongst the farmers and ranchers and their banker here this fall. Kirk Covington with Ag America will join us in segment two as we discuss some of those things that might be said during those meetings. Also, Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol going to join us coming up in segment three today, uh, talking about the EPA Science Board's review of corn ethanol and more that's been going on. There's been a lot of chatter about this. We're going to get an update from Brian coming up here in segment three. And then I'll take a look at news headlines at the end of the show. Uh, A lot of uh, worry about this Black Sea grain deal not getting uh, extended or renewed anytime soon with the escalation continuing in the Russia-Ukraine war. We'll talk about that and other headlines, uh, stories coming out of D.C. as well, coming up here at the end of the program today. First up, though, let's talk about what's going on in the markets, and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about that Black Sea issue and more. Garrett Toy, Ag Trader Talk, is joining us here today on AOA. Garrett, it's great to have you back on the show. I hope you're doing well. Yes, doing well. Thanks for having me again. Well, let's dive in and talk about the markets. And, you know, Garrett, uh, as I look at things, Monday was a day where the grains rallied a little bit into the close. So far, Tuesday's trade has been fairly quiet, I will say, in the grains and oil seeds. Not much happening. Uh, You know, I think we continue to watch harvest progress and basis levels trying to find the harvest low, so to speak. You watch the Black Sea issues at it feels like it's just kind of more of the same right now uh, in these grain markets. What's your take, Garrett? Absolutely. Even like Friday's trade, the volume in these corn was uh, the lowest in over years. So I think the, you know, a friend of mine recommended, you know, might as well just turn your screens off for a couple, two, three weeks. And, and uh, I think that's probably what we're going to do here. You know, harvest is picking up here. You know, nationally, we're 15% complete. Um, you mentioned the Black Sea uh, corridor issues. You know, Brazil is shipping a lot of corn to China. Um, in the last two weeks, we've had a cargo of corn to China in the, in the U.S. export sales. But, you know, with this, quote-unquote, humanitarian corridor uh, that's kind of replacing the Black Sea corridor that Russia participates in, um, you know, there's three ships that were able to load around 127,000 pounds. It's, it's not a huge quantity, but it's it's more than what we have been able to ship through uh, the Danube ports. Um, so, you know, the ideas are, the fears are, for, for a bull standpoint, is that, um, you know, China will be able to pick up a few more cargoes of Ukraine corn, which ultimately just pushes the United States back again to the end of the mm-hmm. line. So so that's the last thing that we need. Or, you know, I, I hate to say that, but, I mean, that for a, for a U.S. producer, I mean, it's, it's, it's less than ideal. Well, and that's uh, another thing to just add on to the poor demand that we've seen. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk Monday about that big corn sale to Mexico, but 
you know, Mexico's usually consistently in here buying U.S. corn. They're one of the few, at least for right now, that are are still buying U.S. commodities uh, on the regular. So really, I mean, we look at the demand issues and Garrett, I think it's I think you're right. It's almost one of those situations. Turn the screens off for a couple of weeks. Let's get through harvest and then kind of reassess and see where we're at. It almost feels like at this point. Yeah, and we all focus on the export side of things. And the export side is, is less than ideal, especially it's compounded with the river issues that we have with low water and, and, and barge freight over, you know, in some areas over 1,200% of tariff. Um, but let's not forget, ethanol margins are still pretty strong. You know, this week they were uh, about a five gross gallon, and they, that's the, 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 the second highest that we've ever had. Uh, behind that short squeeze that we had back in 2021. So, um, you know, ethanol margins are strong. Domestic basis should be, your domestic demand should be strong. It's just that that extra, you know, export demand, that uh, that, 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 that uh, uh, extra little bit that we could use is, is, is lacking, and that's a function of the Brazil crop size. Well, and obviously Brazil, they're, uh, they're planting season ramping up down there, so a lot of focus is going to be put on that. A lot of focus is going to be on what ends up Ending up in our bins here across uh, much of the country, Garrett, uh, any early returns you're hearing when it comes to corn and soybean yield? I- I've heard I've heard a lot of variability, which uh, goes along with what we've seen throughout much of the growing season. Anything you've heard on some of these early returns? Well, actually, you know, I run a, a nationwide private yield network, and, and we kind of distribute the, the yield reports that a lot of people see. Um, we've uh, the, the average of the yield reports that I've seen so far, and we've had uh, 151 yield reports come across this desk so far, uh, the average is 200.67 bushel an acre, uh, and that was up about uh, 2.1 bushel an acre from last week. Uh, but it's about a one percent smaller than this point last year. Um, so um, you know we're 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 well you know we're one percent below last year, and we're doing obviously you got to do apples to apples. You can't compare it to the USDA. Um, but uh, in the soybean yields, uh, we've had uh, let's see here, we've had 82 soybean yield reports come across my desk. Um, the average is 59.34 bushel acre. That was up 3.4 from last week. Uh, but we're running about two, 0.2% behind last year at this point. So um, both, you know, the yield reports we've seen are improving. You know, the, it seemed like the early yields were um, the worst. I think, you're prob- I think we're going to have kind of a mountain. We're going to be bad, and they're going to improve, and then they're going to get worse on the tail end is, is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, they're definitely running behind last year's pace. Garrett, over in the livestock trade overall, I know we had the cold storage numbers out Monday afternoon. Didn't see many surprises there. Hogs, I know we're geared up for a hogs and pigs report on Thursday. Cattle, maybe some follow-through reaction to Friday's, uh, this past Friday's cattle on feed report. Uh, So far, feels like a a fairly quiet market there this week, though, in cattle and hogs. Uh, Any notes of the protein sector for us? Uh, you know, we're we're lower again. It kind of felt like, you know, we before the report, it felt like we wanted to wait to see what the cattle and feed report showed. Uh, and then in hindsight, it was like, well, the, the market kind of wants to correct anyway. Um, you know, we, we kind of showed hints that we wanted to correct the fat cattle market lower. And then we're kind of seeing that follow through here uh, today. So, um, you know, fats are down $1 to $2. Feeders are substantially lower, which is a little bit surprising considering corn really isn't doing much today. And then hogs, like you said, the hogs and pink report are just kind of chopping around. 
Well, Garrett, before we let you go, any final thoughts, anything you would want to share or reiterate to folks as they're thinking about things, busy time of year with harvest, but got to keep an eye on the markets, anything you would uh, mention folks? Well, the big thing is, is this, this, the most impactful uh, thing is going to be this river issue and, the, and the, what it's going to do to basis over the next 30 to 45 days. And, and know that things are bad now, but once the river situation improves, basis is going to come roaring back as that freight relaxes. So um, if you can find a place to be able to stick stuff away and, and store, uh, be able to do so, even if it's for 30 to 45 days. Um, you know, that'll, that'll return on your storage uh, tenfold. Fantastic. Garrett Toy, Ag Trader Talk. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, Garrett. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right, coming up next, Kirk Covington with Ag America will join us here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Back with more on AOA right after this. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more.
While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that doesn't mess around. You can find more details online, Senex.com, or find your local nearest Senex location to learn more about Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, Senex Roadmaster XL, and much more. Thanks again for joining us here today on AOA. Well, joining us now here on the program, we want to get an idea of how the farm economy is looking as we focus ahead towards 2024, get an idea how agricultural lending is shaping up. What are some things that farmers need to be considering and thinking about and here to have a conversation with us about that? Kurt Covington with Ag America joining us on the program today. Kurt, it is always great to talk with you, sir. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. How are you, Jesse? I'm doing good, doing good. Thanks for the time. It's been a few months since you and I have had a chance to have a conversation, so looking forward to this one here today. And let's just kind of start overall. It's been an interesting year. I, I think a lot of farmers are very cautious right now in farm country, just as they look at the state of the overall economy and more. Um, look at you know prices, uh, uh, commodity prices, etc. But what's your summation of, of how? things are looking how healthy is the farm economy here as we're getting to the end of 2023 Kurt? you know i say it's a it's a and thanks for having me it's kind of a have and have not it depends on the part of the country you're in in the midwest i think most farmers if they've controlled their costs and their operation are cautiously optimistic for a good year and uh, that the harvest turns out okay if you go further west particularly out in the california market uh times are tough. You know, that's something that, ha that that's kind of reverse of where it was just a couple of years ago. But in the Midwest, I, you know, I would say cautiously optimistic. And, you know, what's driving, I think, most of this is just the persistent high interest rates and high input costs. Well, and we've even heard here recently, you know, the Fed, a hawkish pause, I think it was the term that came out of the recent Fed meeting, but still talk of, you know, interest rates, another hike before the end of the year. I mean, you know, 6%, 6.1% interest rates, that, that's pretty tough on, on everyone. But I have to think, you know, on, on our farmers and ranchers, that's that's got to be a really tough number to deal with, Kurt. Well, I would say most borrowers, if they can even borrow at 6 or 6.5%, particularly for operating debt, they're in pretty good shape. Here's the reality of the matter. Interest costs are up about four times what they were uh, as short as two years ago. And it's a shock to the operating um, business for, for that farming operation. It hurts their budget. You know, for real estate debt, you know, a lot of, uh, of farmers will have locked in their fixed rate loans some time ago. They're not looking to refinance that at any time soon, right? Mm -hmm. So really where the shock is, is for their their operating financing. And I would say when it comes to that, and here we are nearing October, November, December, when the renewal season starts, uh, I would just say ultimately is, um, you know, keep a happy face because uh, it's, it's going to be, um, it's not going to be a fun discussion in a lot of cases. 
No, that conversation with your banker the next couple of months is going to be pretty tough. Uh, as you look ahead to 2024, and there are going to be a lot of those tough conversations ahead, Kurt, what are some things you would recommend to farmers and ranchers as they're getting ready to go sit in the office with their banker? Wow. So number one, I would just say be prepared, uh, particularly if you're you're looking for new financing. Maybe you're exiting one relationship for another, depending on your situation. I think you need to start early and you need to be persistent with uh, uh, with your operating lender. That means if there's an ask that you want, look for a fast yes or a faster no from that operating lender if you don't think you can get it. I mean, ultimately, by letting it drag on into the beginning of 24, it just makes it just that much more difficult. And I will tell you, lenders today are still optimistically out in the market providing financing, but they have a wary eye as to the situation that each borrower is in. And that means what's the impact of higher interest rates to your operating margin and mm -hmm. what's the impact of higher input costs to that same operating margin. So uh, bankers, good agriculture bankers are going to be looking hard at that. Well, and I think that's going to be a big key. And I think that's maybe going to influence some farmer decisions here at the end of the year. I mean, they got to think about their tax positions and, you know, tied up with all of this. Are they going to be making some equipment purchases? Do they need to farmland purchases? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff coming up here in the next three months, Kurt, that I think are going to have a very big impact as to how things look for a lot of farmers in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, we're starting to see land prices start to settle down a bit. Uh, equipment costs continue to be high. The cost of financing both of those today uh, could be out of reach for a number of borrowers, depending on their cash flow and liquidity position. And what I tell farmers is whenever you come in for an ask, I refer to it as an ask, as an ask like that, be prepared, come prepared, make sure you can support your request. So if it's for equipment, what what is the need, right? And I always tell, uh, you know, I tell our bankers I work with, and I also tell farmers, make sure you're able to understand the difference between a need and a want. So make sure you understand if this is a need, how it's going to help your operation in terms of cost savings or more efficiency. You know, the other thing is I just more and more today, given the sticker shock of where we are with interest rates and volatility and commodity prices, Bankers more and more today are asking for a marketing plan, a solid marketing plan that that borrower is going to stick with. You know, it's one thing to put something on a piece of paper. It's another thing to follow. And so I think that's actually, you know, from from an advice from a, from a longtime banker coming in prepared and making sure that you can make that that lender comfortable with whatever your plan is means your ability to communicate and both communicate in writing with your financial statements, with your business plan, but also be able to verbally convey that to the lender. It almost feels like, Kurt, that, you know, even though you may have a longstanding personal relationship with your banker, depending on your situation, uh, to your point, that might not be necessarily enough in this environment. You, you need to really make sure you have your T's crossed and your I's dotted when you uh, go in for that meeting here at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, you know, banks have capital. They yeah. want to lend it but they have to allocate it properly. So the, the most common things they look at is say, if I can put my capital here and lend it to somebody who's a lower risk versus somebody who's a higher risk, 
I'm going to put it where I'm the, where I have my safest return of my dollar. So ultimately, that doesn't just come down to the financial side of things. Sure, we talk about debt to asset ratios. We talk about you know minimum levels of working capital. But what is becoming more and more important are the two more subjective things: your ability to take risk off the table, right, and your ability to to communicate both with your financials, meaning your financial statements, the quality of your financial statements, which is the primary source of communication with your lender. That's the primary source of communication, but also being able to be knowledgeable of your financial condition and be able to convey to that lender why they should give you that money. We're talking with Kurt Covington from Ag America here today on the show. Kurt, as well, uh, just I'm thinking out loud here, a lot of uh, young and beginning farmers, uh, are, are they having more challenges maybe getting started in this high interest rate environment? I mean, what's your thoughts there? Have you been working with some young beginning farmers or no folks who have? What, what's your take on that situation? You know, we, we do. We work and it's the most difficult question to answer. We know the need in this country for bringing in the next generation. I don't think that that has been something we've talked about now for two decades. We've got the average age of the average farmer across the U.S. is much closer to my age than they are to your age, Jesse. I mean, they're in their mid-60s. Some of them have transition plans. Some of them do not. Some people want to get into the business who have their parents aren't in the business, but they have some desire to be in agriculture. So I say the first thing you have to look at in this is the ability to have enough equity to start your own operation. How do you do that? It's very difficult for someone to go out and just buy a section of ground, right? Mm -hmm. Unless they have been saving that money or unless they have help from some, you know, a, a seller of that property or perhaps can do, use a USDA program. But if you look at the USDA programs, you know, the maximum USDA program, I think is about $2 million. So if you're paying 2,400 or 2,500 bucks an acre, you know, technically that's going to get you 800 acres, which is probably an economic unit, right? But if you're paying $10,000 an acre, like you might see in Iowa, that's not going to get you very far. It might get you 200 acres, which is not an economically viable unit, which means that that person is going to have to decide, okay, if I want to do this, I'm probably going to have to have a job on the side, or I'm going to have to have a, you know, a job that brings in sufficient income because a 200 acre, you know, corn or bean operation just isn't economically viable. So it's a, the biggest challenge we have in the market today. AgAmerica.com is where you can find more information. Kirk Covington with Ag America. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for the time here today on the show. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. All right, up next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. We'll talk with Brian Jennings from the America Coalition for Ethanol on the way right after this here on AOA. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkey. 
Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains and livestock are mixed but mostly lower this morning. There's very little market moving news this morning and with no new sale announcement as well. Weather is mostly dry for advancing harvest with corn at 15% and beans at 12% harvested currently. Corn ratings bumped higher this week, largely due to a big increase in Illinois, while soybean ratings slipped a bit lower again. Grain and oilseed prices are in a harvest malaise with added pressure from a strong dollar and higher interest rates. Yet wheat prices periodically find support from the headlines of more attacks on Ukraine port facilities. Russia has yet to confirm rumors that Ukraine killed Moscow's Black Sea Fleet commander, but that is believed to be behind the current strikes against Ukraine. Now, the market is largely growing immune to reports from the Ukraine war, and it will likely remain that way until or unless it believes that commodity shipments from Russia will be curtailed. Ukraine production does matter, but not in the near term, following two bumper crops from Russia. The day will likely come when it will matter to the markets, but that day is not today. One thing traders are watching is that full funding of the U.S. government expires at midnight on September 30th. That's unless Congress passes necessary legislation to continue funding operations and acquire the president's signature prior to then. At stake is an argument regarding the pace of government spending in Washington and the desire of some in Congress to use this pressure point to force discipline in funding. Fitch lowered its rating on U.S. credit this summer due to the runaway spending in Congress and the pattern established of continual debates that result in short-term spending bills and increased deficit spending over the past 20 years. Now, as Congress increasingly finds itself in a position of borrowing more money to not only pay for spending obligations but also paying for interest on existing debt, the VIX is trading near 18 once again this morning, while the dollar is also firming after setting a fresh 10-month high above 106.2 earlier today. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Yeah, thanks for sticking with us here on AOA Today. Agriculture of America brought to you by our friends with Cenex Premium Diesel. 
Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Cenex Roadmaster XL, one of their great products. You can find their everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex online, Cenex.com. Jesse Allen back with you here on AOA. Want to turn our attention now to some of the uh, headlines in the ethanol and biofuels industry. A lot of talk about the EPA Science Advisory Board and some of their latest commentary and a little bit of a pushback from the ethanol industry. And to uh, fill us in more on what's going on with this whole situation, we welcome in American Coalition for Ethanol CEO, Brian Jennings. Brian, it's great to have you back on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I, I am. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let's dive in and uh, get us up to speed, Brian, on, on what's going on here. I've been reading the various headlines here the last week or so uh, about responses to uh, the Science Advisory Board's letter regarding the RFS set rule and some of the climate impacts here, the greenhouse gas impacts of ethanol. And so uh, what is exactly going on here with the EPA Science Advisory Board? About a month ago, Jesse, this Science Advisory Board put out a letter that questioned the climate benefits, as you just noted, of, of corn ethanol and asked EPA to maybe give it more careful consideration when setting uh, future volumes. The Science Advisory Board argued in their letter that they put out a month ago that EPA should have more carefully scrutinized corn ethanol's greenhouse gas emissions. Now, this Science Advisory Board does not have any legal authority to make decisions per se for EPA. Um, but to the degree that the recommendations, the advice that they give EPA, you know, are heated, it, it did warrant, it did compel groups like ACE to, to respond. So there was a opportunity to write comments to, to this group, and there was a public hearing, uh, public meeting last week. And it was pointed out by ourselves and many others that, look, 18 years ago, believe it or not, 18 years ago, EPA had to make a determination about corn ethanol's greenhouse gas impacts. And back then, they decided that corn ethanol was at least 20% cleaner from a greenhouse gas emission standpoint than gasoline. And here's what's happened in the last 18 years. Corn ethanol has only gotten better. We've only gotten mm -hmm. cleaner. And the latest science today would suggest, Jesse, that corn ethanol is 50 to 60% cleaner than gasoline. So we need to, needed to push back on that and, and sort of set the record straight. Is the EPA Science Advisory Board, you mentioned some of that latest uh, research that is out there. Are they potentially using outdated research to, to form their their commentaries here? I mean, do, do we really know exactly what research they're using, Brian? There's some of that, Jesse. So, you know, every time a, a group with a sort of political agenda against biofuels increasing market share wants to pay for a study and, and have it come out with a predetermined outcome. You know, that, that can happen. So there are a few of those studies floating out there. And it's also peculiar, Jesse, to us that some of these work group members have absolutely zero experience when it comes to life cycle science. They may be public health officials, and that's an important role, but it doesn't have anything to do with greenhouse gas emissions. One of the studies they point to, Jesse, is done by a researcher from the University of Wisconsin named Tyler Lark. 
and his work has suggested that there are substantial land use change emissions related to corn ethanol and those studies by um, Mr. Lark have been refuted by really the, the upper echelon of, of, of life cycle scientists, such as the Department of Energy Argonne um, um, lab scientists. So uh, we were able to sort of refute some of the some of that biased work that the the work group was relying on when they provided this uh, this commentary. Well, you mentioned earlier that this science advisory board doesn't have any legal authority. So uh, what's kind of the next steps here now that, you know, groups like ACE have issued their responses and commentary? I, I mean, are, are we waiting to maybe see EPA act on this? Do we really know what's kind of the next steps here, Brian? Next steps are a bit unclear because EPA has already determined what the volumes of the RFS are going to be through calendar year 2025. And ultimately, the Science Advisory Board's letter was calling on EPA to, to revisit its determination of greenhouse gas emissions from ethanol when setting those volumes. So in effect, EPA could do nothing with this because they won't be setting volumes for 2026 and beyond for another year or two. But it is a little unclear. This, this group sort of works in the dark, even though they gave us an opportunity for a public meeting. Uh, for example, they're going to take uh, some, some internal changes to this work group letter, uh, and one person, the chair of the work groups, gets to decide which edits are made and which edits are not. And so we are sort of in the dark as to precisely the next steps, but I think big picture, this is not going to have a significant impact on EPA decision-making for future volumes since we already have those volumes set through 2025. I think at the end of the day here, Brian, it's something that I'm sure, of course, the ethanol industry is going to stay on top of. But for our, our farmers uh, listening in, it's something for them to at least uh, keep in mind here moving forward. And if you know they need to make their voices heard as well, uh, then be ready for that opportunity, right? Well, that's so true. You know, we always have to stay vigilant because there are always those groups that want to make sure that whether it's E15 or other um, blends, that we do not increase market share. And so grassroots pressure from farmers, and we all know the dramatically positive impact the RFS has had on agriculture over the last nearly 20 years. Grassroots activism from farmers is so critically important as we move forward. We're having a conversation today with Brian Jennings, CEO for the American Coalition for Ethanol here on AOA. Brian, you mentioned E15. I'd love to uh, pivot and ask you for an update there. I know we're we're getting into the fall. We're kind of getting past that summer driving season, and we're we're looking to kind of eliminate some of that uncertainty surrounding E15 and and have your route E15. Uh, any updates? Uh, what's the latest uh, on that uh, situation? Yeah, sort of three updates for you. The first is, as you noted, now that we are beyond September 15th, the, the low uh, ozone season has expired. And so that means E15 can be sold year round in every single part of the country. There isn't a restriction in conventional gasoline areas. So that's the first thing. The second is that we're waiting on EPA to take action on that Midwest governor's petition. Um, eight Midwest governors have petitioned EPA to allow E15 permanently year-round in their states, and we're anticipating action from EPA on that hopefully this fall. 
finally, the final update is that the, the, the way to really get this done, I think, on a nationwide permanent scale is through Congress. And we're making some momentum with bipartisan legislation in both the House and the Senate. Now that Congress is back in session from their August recess, we anticipate activity really ramping up around E15 legislation. We won't be able to pass it on sort of a standalone basis, but we're trying to build more and more support so when there are those must-pass bills that Congress is looking at toward the end of the year, that mm-hmm. we can have the C-15 bill hitch a ride on one of those. Well, you were alluding to maybe hitching a ride there. Could it be potentially something that, that hitches on to the farm bill with that being delayed now most likely until the end of the year? Or do you think do you foresee it maybe getting added along with a different bill, not the farm bill, Brian? You know, that decision ultimately will be up to Congress, but I think any bill that is must pass, a farm okay. bill, a defense spending bill, uh, a bill to keep the government operating um, through appropriations, any of those are worthy vehicles to hitch a ride in, in our opinion. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Brian, uh, before we let you go, we got about uh, a little over a minute here. Anything else stand out to you uh, with either of these topics we've touched on today or anything else going on in the ethanol industry that you want to uh, mention for folks today? Well, there's another important piece of legislation I would just uh, inform your listeners about, and that's the Next Generation Fuels Act. This is a really important bill because it would take advantage of ethanol's high-octane and low-carbon benefits at the same time. Uh, The bill would restore important incentives for automakers to keep cranking out those flexible fuel vehicles, which are really important if we're going to move beyond E15 into the E30s of the world and, and see more E85 penetration. And so as you're, you mentioned, you know, sort of talking to your members of Congress and being engaged and staying informed, I would encourage your listeners to go to our website, ethanol.org, to learn more about the Next Generation Fuels Act. And if your listeners, members of Congress, their two senators and their member of Congress are not co-sponsors of that bill, we would strongly encourage them to co-sponsor that Next Generation Fuels Act. And again, as Brian said, you can get more information online, ethanol.org. Again, that's ethanol.org. And Brian, uh, we appreciate the time with us here today on AOA. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again real soon. Very good, Jesse. Thanks. Brian Jennings, the CEO of the Soci- or of the American Coalition for Ethanol, joining us here today on AOA. And of course, uh, again, stay up to date with everything ACE has going on, ethanol.org. Again, that is ethanol.org for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Always great to have a conversation with Brian Jennings. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines here on the show. Uh, legislation to boost oversight of Ford Ag purchases has advanced in Capitol Hill. We're going to talk about that and more on the way next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, more complete additive package for more complete burn. Back with more on AOA right after this. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan. And it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Anna Adams, a senior commodities trader with CHS, about micronutrient application strategies for this fall and the supply situation. Anna, what role do micronutrients play in crop fertility programs? Micronutrients are absolutely essential. And the name micronutrients is actually a little bit misleading because of the word micro. So people automatically assume that they are not important. But in reality, micronutrients are little tiny keys which unlock soil fertility. What is the best way to determine micronutrient needs and which are most likely to be deficient? The best way is to have a consultation with certified agronomist in your area who will more than likely recommend to do soil testing or deep soil testing or tissue sampling to determine which micronutrients are deficient. Our most common deficiencies are with boron, zinc, manganese, and magnesium. Anna, what could farmers expect concerning micronutrient supplies and pricing? Supply this fall is significantly better than in the fall of 2021 and 2022. However, you do need to plan in advance to be sure that retailers and your fertilizer dealers do have proper micronutrients in place. And unfortunately, as with most of crop nutrients right now, prices are going up. We've been talking with Anna Adams from CHS here on Around the Table about micronutrient strategies and the supply situation heading into this fall. Anna, thanks so much for joining us today. 
It was a pleasure. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Find your local Cenex location very easily online at Cenex.com. Well, let's take a look at some news headlines here on the show today before we run out of time. And, of course, watching a lot going on in Washington, D.C. right now uh, with the appropriations fight and the government shutdown looming. we got a farm bill to figure out. There's uh, plenty of things going on right now on Capitol Hill. Well, Senators Tammy Baldwin and Chuck Grassley on Monday introduced the Protecting Future Farmland Act. The new legislation supports farmers' land stewardship efforts as many choose to deploy solar energy on their land. The legislation will ensure that federal investment in rural energy projects prioritizes both land stewardship and responsible deployment of renewable energy to protect America's farmlands for future cultivation. Now, Baldwin, a Wisconsin Democrat, says, quote, we need to support our farmers' land stewardship efforts and help them protect the farmland that is critical to the future of our rural economies and national food security, end quote. Grassley, an Iowa Republican, added, quote, We must be certain that embracing solar doesn't damage our most valuable commodity, our rich Iowa soil, end quote. Now, agricultural landowners are increasingly interested in using their land for solar energy production. Almost 83% of new solar projects are installed on farmland and ranch land, with almost 50% placed on the most productive, versatile, and resilient land. Well, the U.S. House Committee on Financial Services last week advanced a bill supported by the National Cattlemen's Beef Association that strengthens oversight of foreign agricultural purchases. Introduced by Representative Frank Lucas, an Oklahoma Republican, the Agricultural Security Risk Review Act would add the Secretary of Agriculture as a member of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Now, the committee reviews the national security impact of foreign investments in the United States. NCBA's Kent Baca says the effort, quote, would provide a critical voice for American farmers and ranchers and ensure that the federal government does not overlook agriculture's role in national security, end quote. The Secretary of the Treasury chairs the committee with members from the Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Commerce, Department of Defense, Department of State, Department of Energy, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, and Office of Science and Technology Policy. Now, the legislation passed in committee and now goes to the full House of Representatives for consideration. Well, Senator Josh Hawley last week introduced the Strengthening Antitrust Enforcement for Meatpacking Act. The Missouri Republicans' bill would empower antitrust enforcers to break up giant meatpacking and poultry monopolies. Now, RCAF USA CEO Bill Bullard said his group, quote, applauds Senator Hawley's novel approach to addressing the untenable market concentrations faced by America's cattle and sheep producers, end quote. 
Now, the bill would establish two thresholds for determining the market concentration in the meatpacking industry using the Herfindahl-Hirschman Index, or HHI, which is a measure of market concentration presently employed by the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission. The bill would prohibit a merger or acquisition by a meatpacker if the HHI would exceed 1,800, or if a proposed merger or acquisition would increase the meatpacker's current HHI index by 100. Now, the current guidelines consider an HHI below 1,500 to be unconcentrated, an HHI between 1,500 and 2,500 to be moderately concentrated, and an HHI above 2,500 to be a highly concentrated market. The Hawley bill would prohibit mergers currently considered moderately concentrated. We'll hope to renew the Black Sea Grain Initiative has all but vanished in the wake of Russia's latest strikes on Ukraine's Black Sea port of Odessa and Ukraine's strike against Russia's naval fleet in Crimea. Russia's top diplomat Sergei Lavrov told reporters at the UN through a translator on Friday, export corridors are no longer viable. Those corridors were used several times to launch UAVs over the maritime space in order to carry out strikes on Russian ships. And we warned several, we, we issued warnings several times and those warnings were not heeded. The Black Sea Great Initiative has been a global food and fertilizer lifeline for more than a year, but Lavrov charges the deal's promises to Russia for sanctions relief were not upheld. We have not seen our main agricultural bank return to the SWIFT system, nor have we seen a solution for uh, to allow Russia's unimpeded access to uh, ports in the Mediterranean and others. But Russia's attacked Ukraine's grain industry for months, increasing assaults as the summer harvest season ended and farmers tried to ship grain to needy developing countries and others. USDA chief economist Seth Meyer told this year's Ag Outlook Forum. The Black Sea Grain Initiative has been really critical for those folks to in Ukraine to achieve grain exports. If the Black Sea Grain Initiative does not continue, they will have to rationalize production further down. The Black Sea Grain Initiative is serving a very important purpose to get that product out and moderate global uh, grain prices. But the grain deals elapsed this summer forced Ukraine to use more expensive overland routes resisted by close neighbors, fearing competition with local farmers and dangerous sea routes. Also, for the first time in two weeks, the nation's average price of gasoline declined, falling 3.1 cents from a week ago to 3.80 per gallon. The national average is up 1.3 cents from a month ago and 13.6 cents per gallon higher than a year ago. Now, the national average diesel price decreased 1.4 cents last week and stands at 4.53 per gallon, 38 cents lower than one year ago. Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan says, quote, it's been a mostly quiet week for the national average price of gasoline, but added new and continued refinery issues in some regions have had an oversized effect on gas prices in some states, especially in Southern California, Arizona and Nevada, quote unquote. Now, with some worry over the Fed's statements last week hinting that more interest rate hikes could be coming, oil prices saw some profit-taking last week falling after Jerome Powell's latest statements. Meanwhile, U.S. retail gasoline demand saw an increase of 2.4% last week, bouncing back after several poor readings. Well, we're about out of time here today on AOA. One other quick note, uh, the weekly crop progress report. Harvest progress continuing nationwide. Corn now 15% 
Harvested nationwide as of Sunday, September 24th. Soybeans, 12% harvested as of Sunday. Spring wheat harvest, 96% complete nationwide as of Sunday. That's equal to last year in the five-year average with Idaho, Montana, North Dakota accounting for most of the remaining work. Quarter beans are staying just slightly ahead of the five-year averages. Illinois' uh, corn and bean harvest is 10% and 6% complete as of Sunday with Iowa, 9% complete for corn and 11% completed for soybean harvest. Well, we're out of time here on AOA today, brought to you by our friends at Cenex. Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Find your favorite local Cenex location online at Cenex.com. Coming up tomorrow, Tanner Beamer with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and Bill Hoagland with the Bipartisan Policy Center. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. I'm Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge. But with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.